Hello, everyone. This is Father Reed Henserling, and we are presenting to you another week of the Word of God. This is going to be the 11th Sunday after Pentecost, proper 15, the 11th Sunday after Pentecost. And we are looking at three different texts. We're going to be looking this week at Judges, Acts, and the Gospel of John. So our Old Testament is Judges, Acts, and the Gospel of John. Now, Judges is going to be from Sunday to Wednesday, and then we're going to put pick up on the book of Job on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The book of Job, that is a fabulous Old Testament book, and lots of commentaries and lots of philosophers and lots of theologians have pontificated about that amazing book, the book of Job. So, we will finish Judges and go to the book of Job. We will continue through uh, with uh, the book of Acts, and then we will go through our study of the book of John. So, on Sunday, Judges 16. Now, Judges 16 starts with the story of Samson and Delilah. Remember last week, we were looking at Samson, and we were looking at Samson being a judge. And remember, we talked about Judges chapter 2, how judges were significant people that God raised up because the people needed a leader, and the people needed someone to guide them because they had sinned against God and turned away from God, and they needed to respond to God in such a way that they would follow him. But people aren't very good about following themselves, so we need leadership. And so what happened is, with Joshua's victories, many victories in his book, where God fights for them and drives out many of the peoples of the land, but not all, the area that God gave the Israelites was divided among the 12 tribes of Israel. And as I said earlier, God raised up judges. All right. In Judges 16, we see the second half of Samson and Delilah. As I ended last week's um, session with you from 15 to 31, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become weak as any other man. So finally, Delilah found out what his strength was. They came in, they shaved him, and he didn't have have any strength. Samson did not have any strength to subdue them. The Lord left him. He dishonored the Lord. And his hair grew back after they had blinded him. And he had one last chance to work for the Lord. And it's the wonderful 26th verse of the 16th chapter. Samson said to his servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. The temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And then he prayed to the Lord. So his hair had grown back. His strength returned. I don't know why they didn't cut his hair, but they didn't. He was blinded. He had learned a phenomenal lesson. He asked God to help him to move those pillars, and he did. He moved the two central pillars of the temple. And he said, let me die with the Philistines. Verse 30, 
and he killed more when he died than when he lived. And so Samson was a very enigmatic, very interesting figure in the book of Judges. In the next day, on Monday, we look at Judges 17, Micah's idols. And in 18, Israel has no king, it says in the first verse, and we have the story about Micah. So Micah in 17 and 18 is actually a very interesting and a fairly long series uh, of verses. But again, another story in the book of Judges that talks about Israel and where Israel was spiritually. And we see the same process in, um, in that chapter, uh, chapter 18, Tuesday and Wednesday. And, um, and so we end our time in Judges. Now, for some reason, the Book of Common Prayer, the Daily Lectionary, does not uh, go all the way to the end, uh, chapter 21. But let me read 21 24 and 25, and you might want to look it up in your Bible. I have it highlighted in mine because it's such a famous verse. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. The famous 21:25 verse. There was no king. And if we were to study the book of Samuel, the people cry out for a king. And of course, Saul is the first king followed by David and Solomon. So everyone did what is right in their own eyes. And so we need leadership, and when there are no leaders, people do not do very well. In the book of Job, we have this phenomenal book that comes in before Psalms. Okay, so turn in your Bible, before Psalms and after Esther. Esther is a wonderful book, by the way. In chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have this famous conversation and relationship with God. We have this great relationship with God that Job has, blameless, upright, right from the very beginning, feared God, shunned evil, wonderful man, very blessed, lots of children, daughters. He had sheep, he had camels, he had oxen, he had donkeys, he had servants, he was doing great. Then Satan comes to the Lord, verse 8. Have you considered my servant Job, the Lord said to Satan? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied? You put a hedge around him in his household and everything you've had. You bless the work of his hands. But if you strike him, he will curse you. All right, as long as things are going well, I can understand Job making a big deal of God. You've heard this before. Man, you're doing great. But if things weren't going so well, how would you be doing in your relationship with God? Would you remember God? And so God gave Satan permission to take care of this situation, but do not lay a finger on him. So Satan did. And there were some significant things that happened and significant loss in Job's life. At the end of chapter 1, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. In the name of the Lord be praised. So he lost some cattle, he lost some camels, he lost sustenance, but he still praised the Lord. 
Now there was a second test in chapter 2. Satan comes down again. Satan answers the Lord. I've roamed around the earth. I'm going back and forth. Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. He's upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. He maintains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Now, Satan basically says, okay, harm his flesh and his bone, and he'll curse you. And the Lord says, you can hurt him physically. Remember the first test, don't hurt him physically. But don't take his life. You can't kill him. So he leaves and he afflicts Job with some significant physical problems. Significant. And, of course, the question is, are you going to curse God, Job, or not? His wife asks him that question. Beautiful language. Read this. Very. We'll have chapter 2 on uh, Friday. And then in chapter 3, which is on Saturday... Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now, the infractions against him are so serious, he's now cursing God. And so, verse 11, Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? And we can go on and on. Beautiful reading. Very common today. God, where are you? Why have you afflicted me? Have I done something wrong? And then, at the worst case scenario, people curse God. They leave God. They get mad at God. I've certainly witnessed that in my career, and perhaps you did too. Let's look at the book of Acts, chapter 7. So enjoy your Old Testament reading for the week. In Acts, chapter 7, the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Very Acts is a very important book of the Bible. Chapter 7, verse 44 and following, we have the... Um, death of Stephen. Now, the seventh chapter is important in Acts because it recounts the history of Israel seen through Stephen's eyes as he's sharing it. And at the end of that, he sees the glory of God. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And the people rushed at him. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And they laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Stephen prayed, verse 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He got on his knees. Do not hold this sin against him, Lord. He fell asleep. So Stephen is stoned. And the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who becomes extraordinarily famous. On Tuesday, we have Acts chapter 8, and Simon the sorcerer, the word of God goes out, persecution goes out because of this, people are healed, God is healing people through the leadership of the apostles and the ones that have been saved as we continue in the book of Acts, and we have this wonderful reading about Simon the sorcerer. We continue this uh, wonderful reading in chapter 8 with Philip and the Ethiopian, and him not knowing the scriptures, and Philip witnessing to them about um, Christ and about um, the coming of the Lord, and he quotes this great passage of scripture, 
from Isaiah 53 about Jesus. Tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Philip says he's talking about Jesus, and this is verse 35 of chapter 8, which we read about on Thursday. And so what happened, they got some water, and they baptized him, and the person became a Christian. So what we find in chapter 7 is this calling of deacons, uh, and then we have the testimony of Stephen, and we have his death, and then we have persecution for those Christians. But the word continues to go out, and people evangelize, and they're sharing the gospel quite miraculously. We go to chapter 9, and that's the famous chapter about the conversion of Saul, who was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest in chapter 9, verse 1, and he asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is the Christian faith, whether men or women, he must take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he near Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. Very famous. He falls to the ground. Now, we don't know if he's riding an animal or he's walking, but probably riding an animal, a horse, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Jesus speaks to him directly. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. An extraordinary action of God. Saul was trying to do what God said to him and was trying to do the right thing, formerly a Pharisee. But he wasn't doing the right thing. He was hurting the kingdom of God and he wasn't doing God's will. So Jesus intervenes in a miraculous way and calls him into a ministry that changed the world. Now, here's a fantastic example of election, of a situation where someone's going in one direction, and by the sovereign mercy and gift of God and leading of God, God intervenes and moves them in an entirely opposite direction. And so, in the ninth chapter of Acts, please read it slowly and carefully. Paul is changed from Saul to Paul. And Christianity goes in, in a very different direction and a very powerful direction. And, of course, Saul becomes probably the most famous Christian of all time. Ananias is called by God to work with Saul, but people are afraid of him. God says, this man is my chosen instrument to Israel. I will show him how much he suffer, must suffer for my name. So there's going to be suffering in his work. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales fell from Saul's eyes, verse 18. He could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. And so, in the ninth chapter, on Friday and Saturday, we have the very famous conversion of Saul to Paul. And then the rest of Acts is very much about Paul's journeys and We'll be sharing that with you over the next several weeks. So you'll be looking at Stephen, the church in Samaria in chapter 8, and the other goings on. And then in 9, we have the road to Damascus. Now, we're looking at chapter 5 and 6 in John's Gospel, two of my favorite chapters. Beautiful chapters. 
very powerful theology. Please take some time to read these, read these slowly. I look forward to reading them myself on my daily lectionary work. We start with chapter 5, 19 to 29, and this, this, is, this whole thing is just fantastic. I tell you the truth, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I love chapter 5 because it tells us about the life through Christ and how important Christ is. Verse 27, he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Jesus also becomes the judge. He's not only our savior, he's also our judge. He continues the conversation on Monday in chapter 5, 19 to 29. I'm sorry, in chapter 5, 30 to 47 to the end of the chapter where he says, verse 39, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. He's talking, been talking about his testimony and who he is because they don't believe who he is. They don't believe he's the son of God. These are the scriptures that testify, testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So he's saying the scriptures are about me, but you think they're about something else. So, and if I'm the only one that can save you and you don't come to me, then you're going to be lost. You have to come to me to have life. If you don't come to me, you won't have life. I love verse 44. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet no, make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? He says, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. That's a profound statement. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Now, Moses is about 1,250 to 1,400 years prior. That's a long time. If you don't believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe about me? So he has the audacity to say that Moses was talking about him among other writers of the Old Testament. Now, this is an extraordinary important point in Old Testament theology and New Testament theology. Is Jesus the King of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah, Savior, spoken about in the Old Testament or not? On Wednesday through Saturday, we're looking at the great and very long sixth chapter of John, a very profound chapter, the feeding of the 5,000, which is the only miracle in all four books of the Bible, books of the Bible in regards to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so he does this phenomenal miracle, five loaves and two fish. And he feeds 5,000, and that's just the men, more than that, of course. Jesus feeds us. How are you nourished? How are you sustained? How are you taking care of yourself? And then he walks on water. So just about most people know, they couldn't find it in the Bible, but they know about the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus walking on water. Can you imagine? It is I, he says, verse 20, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Then he launches into this extraordinary, and you could study this for the rest of your life, extraordinary conversation about him being the bread of life. And we see that verses 27 to 51 on Friday and Saturday. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So he's talking not about physical food. He's talking about spiritual food. 
So if you want to live forever and you want to have spiritual life now versus death, then you will feed on Christ. And this is why the Eucharist is very important in our theology and in our services. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me, verse 38. My Father's will, verse 40, is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So this extraordinary relationship between the Father and the Son is shared with us in John 5 and 6. And he talks about what's really important in 5 and 6 in our relationship with Christ. It's very, very strong reading. And then the Jews grumble, and he has this conversation with the Jews, and they disagree, and they don't understand what he's saying. So God has to reveal it to you. God has to share with you. God has to open your eyes and my eyes to what he's claiming as the truth. And as you're reading the scriptures from day to day and week to week, you want to pray that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you and tells you what it means, shares with you what is true, shares with you how you should respond to the text and respond to the scriptures. So I hope you'll have a great time of reading in Judges, in the beginning of Job, in that fascinating, fantastic 42 chapters of Job, and what Job loses and how poetically he shares with us how he feels about loss. And, of course, in the Gospel of John, where Jesus is talking, and we have these long soliloquies and conversations in 5 and 6. He walks on water. He feeds the 5,000. He's the bread of life. And he saves, and he gives salvation. Lord God, bless your people this week as we study the Scriptures diligently, knowing Christ, knowing Christ better, Open our minds and our hearts and our eyes to hear and to see your holy word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week of reading and study and prayer. And the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and I'll see you next week.